All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We are going through the book of 2 Corinthians, neat little letter that Paul has written to this church. It will be his second uh, letter that we have access to. Uh, I think he read or wrote more letters to them, but these are the two that are in the canon of Scripture. The title of our message is Sons and Daughters of the Lord Almighty, a very important idea and concept that creation, humanity, can be a son or a daughter of God Almighty, and so Christianity finds itself very unique in that aspect, making that available to mankind, and it's obviously God doing that. So, sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you, Lord, for the love letter that it is, the truth that it communicates, the blessing of being able to give guidance and direction to our lives. And so we pray, Father, that you would um, speak to us this morning. We pray that you would open up our ears and open up our eyes, spiritually speaking, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit says to the church this morning. And Father, I just uh, thank you so much for just the work of your spirit and what you're doing in these last days, Lord. You're pouring out your spirit upon all flesh, and we pray, Father, that we would desire to participate with that work of your spirit. So bless this time as we offer it up to you in Jesus' name, amen. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read through the chapter, and then I'll come back and break it down again. The title of our message, Sons and Daughters of the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience and tribulation, in needs and distresses, in stripes and imprisonments, in tumults and labors, in sleeplessness and fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. And now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer with an unbeliever? Or, yeah, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you 
and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So as we're going through this letter that Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, it's a letter that he opens his heart up. He's vulnerable in this letter. He's come to a place where he's really just um, being transparent. And in a moment of what I see, I'm appreciating this as, as an individual, um, just that, you know, we don't have to deny our emotions. We don't have to pretend that we don't feel the things that we feel. And so Paul is being very transparent, very vulnerable in this letter. And you see it right there where he says, oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open in verse 11. The title of the message, again, being sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty. You could see where I got that in the last verse. He says, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so I'm going to end there, but definitely you can see where the letter is heading. Um, this chapter here, specifically chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians. And I, I just appreciate it. I just appreciate as I'm studying it, as I'm growing through it and experiencing the things in life that I'm experiencing, just that, that, that passion that God has for his kids, that, that love and that acceptance and that just in, incredible uh, thing to wonder that the creator of the universe wants to uh, have a relationship with his creation, that he wants to walk and talk with his kids. And so just, a, just an awesome thing. So as we go back then to verse 1, it says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Notice he's saying, we then, as workers together with him. God has the work assigned for his kids. He's the one that is doing something from a perspective that we can't see. And so it's not so much that we're asking God to come on board to our life and to figure out what he needs to do for us and in us, if you will. God has this awesome perspective where he's able to see our lives and the totality of our lives and he knows the difficulties and the heartache and the struggle and the sufferings and just everything that we can go through and he has a work that he's doing and he's inviting us to come on board with his work again we then as workers together with him. It comes out of chapter 5, verse 18. I'll read it to you. In chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, verse 18, the Bible says, given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has given us the message of the, the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That God wants to see people reconciled to himself. People are not together with God because there's a sin factor that separates us from God. All of us come into the world as sinners. We inherited a sinful nature from our great-grandpappy and grandmammy, right? It goes way back to Adam and Eve. And because they made a choice in the garden, then we inherit that sin nature from them, and that sin separates us from God. So that even though if we wanted to connect, religion means to relink. Even if we wanted to relink through religion, religion doesn't do it. It's through a relationship. And God made that possible for us to relink, to be reconciled with God. We are at odds with God as we come into the world. We are the enemies of God, unfortunately, because of that sin nature, because nothing impure or sinful can dwell in the presence of God. And so sin has to be reckoned with. It has to be dealt with. Jesus carried that on the cross for us. He took our sin upon him as he was crucified on the cross. 
And so that message of reconciliation, not just us and God reconciling and having a relationship, but that message for the whole world, for everybody. God has given us that ministry, and he wants us to be able to share with others, hey, did you know that you can be reconciled with God? Did you know that you can have a relationship with God? And so as workers together with him, we recognize that the ministry that God has given us is the ministry of reconciliation. In chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Wow, ambassadors? Wow, that sounds so, that sounds so prestigious. Ambassadors, right? So not delegates, not diplomats, but ambassadors. Not somebody who just says smooth, smooth things over with our speech, but truly we're just representing him. It's his message. It's his kingdom. It's his name that we proclaim. It's not my message, not my kingdom, not my glory that I'm trying to elevate. It's God's. And so as an ambassador, I just represent him. What's an ambassador do? It's almost like you were in a court of law and put your hand on the Bible, right? Put your right hand on the Bible and raise, raise your left hand and say, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's all we are as ambassador. We're just telling the truth about God. We're pointing people to God. We don't have all the answers, to be honest with you, and we haven't figured out life in perfection. All of us are a work in progress. All of us are growing at a different um, state in life. And so, but we're pointing to the one that does have all the answers. We're pointing to the one that really truly can help somebody. That adage of if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. That's really what we're doing. We're one beggar telling another beggar where we can go to get what we need. We're pointing them to God. And so as ambassadors, we have been given this ministry. And that is the work that we are working together with him the gospel, and the ministry. It's like a little boy with a toy lawnmower following dad as dad mows the lawn. For for the sake of pure efficiency, dad should ask the boy to go away because he um, he is really just in the way. But it is so good for the boy to work with dad. And because dad loves his boy, he wants him to work together with him. That's all it really is. We're pushing a little lawnmower behind dad, God, up there as he's doing the work and we think we're doing something and we're just following in those tracks and following along with God and he's like I just want to be with you I just want to spend some time with you you're actually probably hindering some of the work I want to do but nonetheless I just want you and I'm doing the work so God's able to do it so it is our work that helps uh, us with that God helps us with It is his work that he asks us to do together with him. Instead of trying to persuade God to help us with our work, we need to find out what God's work is and do it with him. Have you ever poured money into somebody's life and you you give them money and and you think you're helping them and then you realize that, whoa, and then then they need more money and then you you help them and then then you realize, whoa, whoa, again, okay, they, they need more money and then you're helping them and are you really helping them at some point? Are you hindering them from depending upon God? Are you hindering them from bottoming out so that they can come to God, they can look to God, they can begin to trust in God, and they can begin to learn to handle their finances? 
You know, as Roxanne and I, our kids are getting older and we have a 30-year-old and a 29-year-old and a 25-year-old and a 22-year-old. And so as they get older, um, we kind of wonder sometimes, well, what's helpful and what's not helpful? What lessons do they need to learn to look to God and depend on God and trust in God? And what lessons can we help them with? We need to pray to God and ask God, God, what are you doing in our kids' hearts and in their lives right now? And how can we help come alongside of you in the work that you're doing so that we don't hinder or get in the way or delay the lesson that you want to teach them? And so that's what we're doing really in life and in people's lives. We need to kind of stand back and recognize that God is on his J-O-B. God is doing a work in people's lives and in their hearts. And we want to participate and cooperate with that work that God is already doing in their lives as opposed to hindering the work or getting in the way of or delaying the lesson that God is trying to teach. And so I think that's very important. It would be Joshua... In Joshua chapter 5, where Joshua realizes and recognizes that he's going to take over for Moses. Big sandals to fill for Joshua, right? And he's afraid, and he's nervous, and he's anxious, and he's all of these things. And in chapter 1 of Joshua, over and over, Joshua has to be reminded, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. You know, this book of the law shall not depart from your hand, but don't turn from it to the left or to the right. And if you follow it, you're going to find your way successful. You're going to find your way prosperous. But did I not tell you, don't be afraid? And, and Joshua, don't, don't be afraid. And I'm going to tell you again, Joshua, don't, don't be afraid. Joshua must have really been afraid because God tells him over and over, don't be afraid. And then you begin to see these victories that God begins to give as the leader through Joshua, and God is doing this incredible thing, but Joshua has to be be reminded in Joshua chapter 5. Let me read it to you. It's Joshua chapter 5, 15 through 15. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And so Joshua thought he was going to recruit God to get on his team in asking him, hey, uh, Jesus, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And Jesus says, no, 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 Joshua, it's not your plan. It's not your mission. It's not your war. It's not your battle. It's not your struggle. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. God is using you to raise you up as a leader in the nation of Israel, but I'm the one that's directing this. I'm guiding it. Take your sandals off. This is holy ground you're standing on. And so we need to recognize that God recognizes the war that we're in. And he has a battle plan. He has a strategy. And so we don't recruit God to come into our plans and our lessons. We find out what he's doing and we get on board with him. And that's the plan that God would have us to have when we recognize we then as workers together with him. At the end part of that verse, he says, not to receive the grace of God in vain. And so Paul had received the grace of God, but he's encouraging the Corinthian church, hey, don't receive God's grace in vain. 
I think Paul gives us an allusion to that in 1 Corinthians 15.10 where he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So what's that? Paul receives the grace of God, and how did he not receive it in vain? He worked hard. He said he labored more abundantly than all of those other apostles. And that's how it was not in vain. It was not empty. It was not for nothing. It didn't avail to nothing. He recognized that there was a work to be done, and he took responsibility for his part in that work, being used by God in the midst of what God was doing. As we go on in verse 2, he says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're ever sharing with somebody and they're wondering when is the right time to receive the Lord, tell them, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the right time. As my daughters were growing up, I would always tell them, girls, it's always the right time to do the right thing. And it's always the wrong time to do the wrong thing. And so if you're not sure, default to the right thing. Figure out what the right thing is and do that. Regardless of how you feel. Remember, feelings follow behavior. And a lot of times we give a lot of priority to how we feel. Do the right thing. Discover what the right thing is. Discern what the right things are. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. It says, behold, the acceptable time is now. Verse 3, he goes on to say, We give no offense in anything, that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults and labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting. So you're going to have three different sections. This first section is in trials of ministry. Are there trials in ministry? Uh, Yep. Jesus promises it, right? He says, all who set out to live godly will suffer persecution. And in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good courage. I have overcome the world. I, because of my weakness, have many times just wanted to quit. Straight out. Just quit. Oh, Lord, it's too hard. These trials are too much. I'm suffering, I'm struggling, it's just overwhelming. I don't like my kids being attacked, I don't like that stuff, and maybe if I wasn't involved in ministry, then then maybe it wouldn't be this hard. But I always default to John chapter 6. Remember John chapter 6, Jesus begins to thin out the crowds, the multitudes are following him. He just feeds the 5,000 and people are following Jesus, a lot of them for the wrong reasons, because of the free lunch program, right? Biscuits and fish sticks, Ooh, it's Jesus, he took a boy's lunch and just, man, he fed all of us, this is awesome, we could just hang out with him, we don't even have to go to work, let's just hang out with Jesus and get bread, fish sticks and biscuits all day, right? And so Jesus kind of sees that and he begins to say some very difficult things. You've got to drink of my blood and you have to eat of my flesh. And if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And then it says right there in John chapter 6, and many of his disciples no longer walked with him. And then he looks to the 12 and he says, do you guys want to go as well? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and we know that you are sent from God. So 
We don't understand eating your flesh and drinking your blood. And that sounds pretty crazy, but we got nowhere else to go. We've already understood that you are the anointed one, the Messiah. So we're not going anywhere. And so even though we have these trials in ministry, even though it does get difficult at at times, he alone has the words of eternal life. And where are we going to go? Are we living for things temporal or are we living for things eternal? Are we living for things in heaven or are we living for things on the earth? And I think that will be tested and we see it right here in all of these things that Paul is mentioning that he had experienced. The second thing, he's going to use the word by and by is a provision and resources for the ministry. Notice at verse 6 through 8, he says by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left by honor and dishonor, by evil report and by good report. And so here we have, again, the the provisions and the resources for ministry. God has given us all these wonderful things so that we can serve him, so that we can do the work of the ministry. And then his last section here of these three, he uses the word as, and it's a contrast between perception and reality in ministry. Guess what? In ministry, people are going to misread you. People are going to judge your motives for why you do, in life in general. Don't you see that? That people judge you and your motives for what you're doing, but the reality may very well be something different altogether. They don't know your struggle. They don't know what God is communicating to you. And so a lot of times that's going to happen. Notice the word as, again, picking it up at the end of verse 8, as deceivers, yet true. Paul wasn't a deceiver. He was speaking the truth. As unknown and yet well-known. He may have been unknown by the people that were accusing him, but he was well known to God and those who he had discipled as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. And so that contrast between perception and the reality in ministry is what Paul points out there. Moving on in verse 11, he says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Never take full responsibility for anybody's life and their choices. We have a tendency to do that. And they were accusing Paul of being in a position because it was Paul's fault. Maybe he wasn't doing everything that they thought he should be doing. Maybe they weren't um, receiving from Paul the things that they thought they should have been receiving. And Paul's saying, you're not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Take responsibility for your life and the choices you make. And there may be underlying subconscious reasons from your childhood that are driving a lot of those. Get in touch with some of those. Be vulnerable to God in those areas. Let him heal and touch those tender areas in your life. If you find yourself in a repetition of making bad decisions, guys, the, 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 the decisions are a symptom of something that's deeper at the heart of the issue. Let God touch those areas. Let God heal those areas. Let God expose those areas. God wants to bless you. He's for you. He's not against you. 
And so the one that truly loves you just the way you are unconditionally is the same one that wants to transform you into the image of his son and, and prepare you for heaven and everything that he has in store for you there. And so, number one, don't take responsibility for the decisions that other people are making if they want to put that on you. Well, I'm like this because it's your fault. Or I'm making these decisions because of what you did. Uh, I, I may have contributed, but ultimately, you have to stand before God and take responsibility for the decisions you're making. On the other hand, for us personally, be careful that we let God heal those areas. We, we what, spite our nose to cut our face or cut our nose to spite our face? There you go. We, we just do dumb things. You know, we're holding away the source of life, the source of healing, the source of this good God that wants to just blow us away with transformation and growth and maturity in so many areas. We need to be careful of that. He goes on in verses 14 through, I'm sorry, verse 13. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God and then we'll kind of get into that next part. But this idea of being unequally yoked, a yoke was nothing more than an instrument to place two animals to be able to get more work done on the field. And so think of a plow, that which needs to break up the fallow ground, the hard earth. And so you put this ox with another liked animal, hopefully another ox or equal in strength, okay? And they would be connected together through a neck device called a yoke. And so God is saying for his kids, be careful who you hook up with. Be careful who you not associate with, but um, it goes deeper than friendships and it goes deeper than um, just people that you are around. God wants you to be around unbelievers. God wants you to be around people that need to know him and need to grow in him. And so it's not, and he tells us that in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, when I spoke to you and told you not to be with people who are in sin, I, I didn't mean the people of the world. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. He says that clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's saying, I, I told you not to associate with people who name themselves as a Christian who are living in high-handed sin to God. You disassociate with those people. They can feel the brunt of excommunication and they can recognize that they need to get right with God. But having friendships and associations with people who are non-Christians, all of us should actually have that. And we should be able to be light to them. We should be able to speak truth to them. And ultimately, remember, remember the ministry of what? Reconciliation. We want to see them as God wants to see them reconciled with God. We want to see them in a relationship with God. And so this yoke has an idea of, and not being unequally yoked, of things like marriage, of things like business. It goes far deeper than our acquaintances and the friendships that we have. So you don't want to marry a non-believer. Why? Because like the crab in the pot, it's much more difficult to pull the crab up than it is to pull a crab down. 
don't know if you guys know this, but you put live crabs into a boiling pot and one tries to escape, the other ones are going to pull it down so that it can't escape. We've done this in junior high ministry. This is a neat little uh, exciting uh, little experiment you can do. So you take all these junior high schoolers, right? And you put one of them on a platform, a high platform, hopefully, right? And you tell all the other ones around them, okay, let's see if we can pull him down. And hopefully, you know, they don't get hurt and break a head or bust a neck, right? And so they pull him down and it's easy, right? And then you put that same one on top of the platform and you tell them, all right, let's see how many you can pull up, but you guys need to resist the pulling up and can't get one. You can't pull up as well as you can pull down. Why? You got gravity on your side. And so when we are in a committed relationship with an unbeliever, are they going to pull us down or are we going to pull them up? Generally speaking, we're going to be pulled down. It's like the dead fish going with the stream of life, right? With the current, with the flow. What does a dead fish need to do to go with the flow of the current? Nothing. It's dead. It will go with the flow, with the current, because that's what dead fish do. And then think of the salmon that swims against the current. That's what you are as a Christian. You're going against the current, against the world, against everything, and it's just like hitting you, but that's what we're called to do in this world. And so be careful with the yokes that you place yourself in. And there's just all kinds of stuff. What associations do we have? Light with darkness, Christ with Belial, a name for the devil, Um, a believer with an unbeliever. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. That is unfathomable. In the Old Testament, you had this sanctuary, the temple, where God would meet with his people. And there were all these layers that led into the temple. You had the outer courts where general people could be. You had the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women. And then you had the inner sanctuary. And then you had the holy of holies. One person once a year was able to come in, the high priest for that year. One person once a year was able to come into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. God in this chapter right here is saying, you are the Holy of Holies where God dwells in. What? We have access to the presence of God because he dwells within us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to be with us. He wants to walk and talk with us in our lives. And the contrast between that, which is Christianity, and religion, religion is just, it's a temporary thing. It's a, well, it's this compartment. It's this little thing that I do on this day or on these holy high days. God doesn't want religion. Religion is judged in Revelation chapter 18 and 19. Babylon will be judged. And Babylon and all these evil, wicked practices that go way back to the Tower of Babel. Babylon, Babel. And all these pagan practices will be judged ultimately when it's all said and done. We want a relationship with God. We want to be able to walk and talk with God. And that's what God is offering for us. He goes on as he says, For you are the temple of the living God, as he has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. 
I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, because of this, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. And so God is saying in the system of the world, come out from the world. Come out from amongst the systems of the world. I personally love politics, but I don't share a lot of my politics because politics have a way of isolating people. And people love to put you in a box, and I don't like to be placed in the box because I don't believe God is placed in a box. But at the very same time, we need to recognize that those systems of the world have somewhat of the God of this world in them. And so politics aren't perfect, are they? So that's why we need to be careful. So when we need to come out from amongst them, we need to recognize that though we can do political things like vote and pray for our leaders because the Bible tells us to, we need to be careful that we don't identify with people automatically and latch on to them because people are part of the system of the world in the world of politics. And so be very careful, Christian, who you identify wholeheartedly with. Look at individuals and and topics within um, politics singularly through the filter of the Bible. And let the Bible dictate your politics. Don't let politics dictate who you're going to grab onto wholeheartedly. And so when we come out from the world and be separate... We are in the world, we're not of the world, and God is calling us to recognize that the systems of the world are not from God, no matter what those systems may be. So we need to be careful. He goes on in the last verse and says, And I will receive you, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Um, I had two verses to share with um, 14 and 16 of being equally yoked. One of them is Psalm 1, verse 1, and this gives us an idea of what not to yoke up with. Blessed is the man, this is Psalm 1, verse 1, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And then if we're going to yoke up with someone, it should be Jesus. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, Upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is doing the work, and as we yoke with him, he's leading us, and we follow after that lead that he is going before us. Sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty, there is no greater definition of any identifying mark in your life than that right there. The single most important thing in your life has to be that you're a child of the living God. That through a relationship and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made on the cross on your behalf, you have come in contact with your creator. Every other thing that can identify you comes under that. That is where you will find your identity. That is where you will find your worth, that is where you will find your value, and the world wants to lie to you and say that it's found in something else. You are not identified by your struggle. You are not identified by the sins that you commit. You are not identified by any of those things before you are identified 
as a child of God that you are a child of God. And so be very, very careful with the lies and the subtleties of the world and how they want to identify you and mark you and give you a title or give you a category to put you in because you're going to get ripped off. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Because the minute you can't do that good thing, you've lost your identity. You've lost your worth. You've lost your value. But if it's child of God, son of God, daughter of God, of the Lord Almighty, nobody can take that away from you. Nothing can change that. And if you identify with that, that's your, ver- your worth. That's your value. And that's definitely your righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. You'll realize that if you try to identify with God in your righteousness, that's going to last about this long. About this long. Because you're going to realize that, man, even the very things that I want to do, I, I, I can't do them. I don't find myself doing them. And, and even the things that I don't want to do, those are the very things I do. Ha ha, boy, this is pretty jacked up. And so your worth and your value, it goes down the tubes. Identify with the cross. Identify with the fact that Jesus took your place on that cross. And to the world, that is an offensive message because it tells the world you can't do it on your own. No matter how good you can be, you'll never be good enough. And so the world tells us that acceptance with God is by being good. Clean your life up. Get your act together. Figure things out. Then God will accept you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God already accepts you. You need to receive the sacrifice that he made on your behalf and realize that your righteousness is imputed righteousness. It comes from God. That your standing with God doesn't change in that relationship that you have with God. So again, the title of this message, Sons and Daughters of the Lord Almighty, I chose that because that's the most important thing. And don't lose sight of that. Don't ever let that go. Don't ever get away from that. I'm a child of the Most High, the Lord God Almighty. Wow. Guys, that's everything. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much that you have made a way for us to have access to you. And it's not through religion. It's not through how much we read our Bibles or how much we pray or how much we come to church or don't go to church. It's none of those things. It's through the simple acceptance of the sacrifice made on the cross on our behalf. It's through receiving the finished work of the cross. And so, Lord, all of us can do that. All of us can can receive the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And so you leave the choice with us. And so, Lord, I thank you so much for the way of salvation. I thank you that you call us out of the world Not because you don't want us to have any fun, but because you love us. And you know that the world wants to lie to us and rip us off and have us elevate things that were never meant to be elevated. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see the goodness of God as we study the scriptures and that we can see, Lord, this wonderful plan that you want to unveil and unfold right before us. And, Lord, that you would give us a desire to participate and cooperate with that plan. So thank you so much that we can be sons and daughters of the Lord God Almighty. And Lord, I pray that we would cultivate that relationship 
And that would be the thing that we place at the priority of every other thing that we can ever be. For your honor, for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.